Amazing. Thank you. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 10, <clears throat> from the Common English, Common English Bible. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 597. Don't fear, because you won't be ashamed. Don't be dismayed, because you won't be disgraced. You will forget the shame of your youth. You'll no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. The one marrying you is the one who made you. The Lord of heavenly forces is his name. The one redeeming you is the Holy One of Israel, the one called God of all the earth. As an abandoned and dejected woman, the Lord has summoned you. As a young wife, when she is rejected, says your God, For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great mercy I will bring you back. In an outburst of rage I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting love I have consoled you, says your Redeemer, the Lord. These are like the days of Noah for me when I promised that Noah's waters would never again cover the earth. Likewise, I promised not to rage against you or rebuke you. The mountains may shift, the hills may be shaken, but my faithful love won't shift from you, and my covenant of peace won't be shaken, says the Lord, the one who pities you. The word of the Lord, God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Russ. So I mentioned at the outset that this is the final Sunday of our Advent series titled God With Us. And During the Advent season, we all are familiar with the fact that we are invited to prepare and to wait, to wait for the birth of God's Savior. And in preparation and waiting, we long for things to happen in our lives. And we have talked about that from the aspects of longing for more hope, peace, joy, and today also to talk about it from the aspect of love. We started the Advent series learning what it means for us to experience the thrill of hope, but not only to have it in our own hearts and lives, for that hope to be a part of our conversation with the world around us, especially in a world that's filled with a lot of despair, how do we bring back hope as a part of our conversation with others? To journey on, to understand peace, and to understand peace is an element that has to begin within us. If you do not experience peace within yourself, it is hard to be a peacemaker in the world around us. And so we considered what it meant for us to find God who is with us that brings us peace, so that we might be peace in the world around us. Last week we prayed for God's anointing spirit, a spirit that would grant us joy in such a way that we might be messengers of joy in a very discontent world. To Bring back that element of joy in our lives as well. Today we're going to talk about what it means for love to be a part of us and how love combats, combats in many things the hate that we experience in our world today. I read a quote from a former psychologist named Carl Rogers, and Carl Rogers once said this. He said, the good life is a process, not a state of being. It is a direction, not a destination. Think about life as a process. I like this quote because it reminds me that life is an ongoing process. It is a direction. It is a journey that every single one of us are taking. I cannot think of anything in our lives that is homeostatic. Everything's evolutionary about our lives. It is a process, and it should be a, a process oriented for us that moves us in a direction, hopefully a positive direction in our lives. Most of you are keenly aware that, that I have a growing disdain for our so-called news in our time, right? Have you heard me mention that before by any chance? A time or two, right? 
I think about the constant hyperstate of half-baked truths we often find ourselves in. And we're, we're constantly searching for reliable sources that are going to give us factual news of the day, knowing that constantly we're being trolled as well with disinformation. And that disinformation causes in us a divide. I, I think we know that today we are still a divided humanity. That, that surfaced recently, right? We're, we're reminded that socially, economically, ideologically, politically, and as Martin Luther King Jr. once reminded us, even religiously, we are divided as humans, particularly in this country. And I think about what it's creating the core of who we are becoming in this world and in our country. And how for many of us, for some of us, what's resurfaced, what's peeled away, is the false mass to reveal that we in many ways still have hate as one of the core things among us. And that we experience that. And maybe in some ways we're participants in that as well. I like the idea of resistance. I think in many ways we should have resistance and it's part of our socio-political environment. We need to make sure that things are, are in our lives are being resisted, that the seeds that it's sowing in our hearts and our lives are good seeds, not bad seeds. We should be resisting the bad seeds of things that would cause us to harm one another or to experience harm ourselves, right? And to stay away from things that would cause us to fall into destructive means. I like peaceful demonstrations. I think peaceful demonstrations should be a part of who we are. I don't agree with violent demonstrations because I don't think violent demonstrations create for us what they're intended to do, the kind of change that's positive for who we are. I wonder whatever happened to activism that came through a pacifist form of love and action. Right? I read an article recently that named 20 pacifists who have brought about change in their lifetime, people who had that presence and that power of mind and that conviction to be able to speak in a way that would change people. Right? The article mentioned several. Of course, we know people like Gandhi and Nelson Mandela would make that from the political aspect. We've heard of religious persons who fall into this category as well, like the Dalai Lama, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, scientists like Albert Einstein make that list. Artists and writers, Vera Britton, George Bernard Shaw, John Lennon, Leo Tolstoy, Helen Keller, Anne Frank, Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, Julia Ward Howe, these people all made the list as well. But there's a couple of them I want to share with you that we might not be so familiar with that were on this list as well. One of them was a gentleman by the name of Linus Pauling. Linus Pauling was a founder in the fields of quantum chemistry and molecular biology. He was awarded in 1954 the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. But he was also an activist for nuclear disarmament. He was a pacifist in this form, an outspoken person who used his platform for it. And thus in 1962, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He's only one of two people to ever be awarded two different Nobel Prizes in his lifetime. The other one was Florence Kelly. Florence Kelly was a social and political reformer of the early 20th century. She was a pioneer of the term wage abolitionism. She advocated against sweatshops and for the establishment of a minimum wage, eight-hour workdays, and child labor laws. 
She used her platform to also, in 1909, help launch the NAACP. She was an activist through her passive means and her presence. I get the idea of trying to change the world towards the better. I think that's what the church is about. We are here to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven in a positive vision of what life could be like for all of us. But does the end, does the end of justice and equality justify the means, especially if we fall into hate and violence as our means? And if you think about it, Has it really all fallen on our shoulders to change the world, friends? The writers of Isaiah, the Isaiah scroll, remind the people of Israel and Judah of a very important fact. And that fact is that God was with them. Even in the moments where they felt like God wasn't with them, God was still with them. Yes, we know that things looked bleak for them and had for a really long time. Foreign rulers and oppressors wasn't exactly what they had in mind when they asked for a king to rule over them, right? Loss of land, livestock, produce to their new masters wasn't exactly what they envisioned as safety and security in this land of milk and honey. The line of their beloved King David being interrupted wasn't what they anticipated, nor was the destruction of their holy city of Jerusalem and God's temple. They had not envisioned those things. And yet we know that they did happen and the people certainly could have believed that God was no longer with them and resorted to hate and violence as their means of trying to get rid of their oppressors. And yet, and yet the prophet comes to bring them good news, to spell out for them a reality that they could not only believe in, but begin to live in as well. That they could have hope. To be reminded that the shame of their desolation was not their reality. The disgrace of Jerusalem and the temple was not permanent for them because God would empower them to rebuild it all, to bring it back to the glory, the glory of God. That they could have peace. Peace within and without. Peace with themselves because God was with them and had told them their circumstances were only temporary. And even though they might have felt like a widow or abandoned woman, neither of them was their final lot in life either. Peace with God and with one another was their real and living presence now and could be in their future. And it also remind them that they could have contentment, joy in their lives. It was like the days of Noah. God promised and God kept God's promises to them. In this moment, God promised to be present with them. God was with them, continuing to be present with his people. Which meant that they could journey towards love. Take a journey towards love. God's faithful love that had never been taken away from them. God's faithful love that would never fail them. God's faithful love that would always be for them and with the people. And that this love had the power to shape them into an expression of God's love that was for other people. Think about the Israelites waiting upon God's salvation to discover that it had always been with them. And it came forth in the images and the writings of these prophets. It empowered the people to live in these aspects of hope, peace, joy, and love. Hate was not a permanent state for them. The love was a state that they were growing into. 
I recently heard an interview conducted with Dr. Jordan Peterson, and I don't expect that many of us know who he is, but he's a researcher, writer, and teacher in the psychology department at the University of Toronto. Now, he has a new book that's coming out early next year. The title of it is 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. How many of you are going to run out and buy that? I know I probably am. I think I'm going to pre-order it this week, right? Well, i got a little bit of time. In the interview, he said this. If you're going to try and change the world, make sure your own room is clean and your bed is made. Think about that for a moment, right? Because his research shows that there is a direct correlation between personal disorder and social disorder. If your personal life is out of disorder, your social aspects will be out of disorder. And so he talks about that kind of personal journey that we take, right? So allow me to borrow and alter Dr. Peterson for just a moment. If you want to bring love to the world, then you've got to make sure your life is dominated by love. Which means in the vernacular of Carl Rogers, love is a process. Not a state of being. It's a direction. It is not a destination. So let me ask you this morning. What direction are you headed? Is it toward greater love of God and others? Or are you headed a different direction in this life? Because here's what I'm going to propose to you this morning as the direction that you should be taking. It should be a journey towards a greater love of God and of one another. And I think this is rooted in Paul's counsel to the Colossians in how we do this. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? To think about our direction, our course, our journey as rooted in speech and action that emulates Christ in the world. Because I believe that Jesus taught us the direction that we should go and the way in which we should ultimately live, and that is to live in love. To do so through our words and our own actions. You think about the words that we're going to say in a few moments, that we're going to hear in the affirmation of faith and in our own proclamation and liturgy for communion. We talk about Jesus in words, and we talk about Jesus in actions. We talk about Jesus as one who forgave sins, proclaimed release for the captives, announced the kingdom of God in the year of the Lord's favor. We talk about Jesus who ate with sinners, who healed the brokenhearted, who took people's pain and shame away. These are the words and actions of Jesus. They are the direction that we are invited to go with him. But I wonder today who you're following. In the direction that you're going in this life, who are you following? If you desire more love in your life, then... What is the process that's happening for love to grow and emerge in you? For it to be greater in depth and quantity. What are the words that you are listening to? What are the words that you are speaking in this world? What are the words that influence you? Are they mostly noise that creates greater anxiety and creates hate for others? Are they words of life, encouragement, and love? What are the words that are coming forth from you? Are you speaking words of harm? And hate to others? Are you cursing others, hoping for harm for others? Or are you encouraging and being positive in the ways in which you build up? Are you showing love and sowing love in the words that you use for others? 
But most importantly, and just as importantly, I would say, what are your actions as well? What, what actions are coming forth from you? How are you reacting to the circumstances of life? Now, granted, I'm going to say this. If someone's physically harming you, you do not stand by and take it, right? You demand and you seek justice. Amen? We all can agree upon that. But if someone's just treating you badly, then do you, as Jesus would do, do you kill them with disruptive kinds of acts of kindness and love? Or do you fight back? Because I think we all know that hateful actions in response to hateful actions are only going to produce a deeper hate in the world. Amen? It will not cause love to emerge among us or flourish. So how do we respond in these moments? And think about what your initiating actions with others are, especially with those that you struggle to love. Right? Are we short in conversation with them? Do we withdraw our love and our encouragement? Are we rigid with these kinds of people? Can we in some ways initiate differently in the form of love as God has loved us? Because I would suggest to you that the world gets enough hate today. The world gets enough hate through the words and the actions of us mere mortals. But hopefully the church is not one that participates in this. The church should be a source of something new. It should be salt and light in the world. Each one of us should be the people that bring forth God's love, message of love to the world. Because it's a world that is in desperate need, dear friends. I don't know if I have ever lived in a more fractured state in our society than today. I can't recall it. And maybe I have. But I think about just the play of it in our world and in our society. But I also believe that we live in a world that is struggling for an answer. And that answer can come from us, the followers of Christ, who come with words of love and actions of love in all that we say and do. So as you go forth from this moment, here's what I want you to take away from today and, and kind of converse with others about. Think about, ponder, pray over yourself. But to be reminded that the world is on a journey. And in many ways, it just appears to be on a collision course, right? Based in hate. I think the Israelites could be a great reminder for us. They certainly could have hated their oppressors. They could have done everything in their power to try to change their circumstances. And yet the prophet Isaiah reminded them to be formed in God's love, to be encouraged that God was still with them and had good things in mind for them. That we, the church, should be centered in those things as well. That we should should, should be journeying in God's love through our words and our actions, to be formed and shaped in those so that we might go in God's purpose to transform the world, to reshape it through God's love that is for all people. So here's your invitation this morning. Number one, to think about your words. To let your words be a reflection of love. Adam Hamilton recently said that God gave us two ears, one mouth. Which means we should do twice as much listening as we do speaking. Right? And you think about why it is in so many ways that that we just don't understand one another. It's because we don't listen enough. The old axiom, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Maybe that's a way in which we should be a reflection of God's love, to seek to understand those around us and then to figure out how we can speak in a way that expresses God's love. 
and to let your actions be a reflection of God's love as well. You know, friends, people do some weird things at Christmas. Amen? And there is absolutely no way to control the others. Amen? Right? But you can choose how you reflect God's love or not to the crazy people around you. Right? And in so doing, to reflect to the world that God is with us in God's great 